Agricultural Business Chamber, which will be followed by Free Market Foundation. Then uh, we'll have uh, a submission by TLUSA and uh, round up uh, these presentations with uh, a submission from the Black People's National Crisis Committee, BNCC. Honorable members, we will now proceed with the submission by Agricultural Business Chamber. And I'd like to invite Ndate Boshoff to please proceed with the presentation. And uh, let me request all other honorable members of the Portfolio Committee on Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development as well as all our presenters and guests that have joined us to please mute your microphones as well as switch off your video. Only the person Honorable that members, is presenting we will can switch on uh, their video. With the submission, Dr. Poshoff, by please proceed. Thank you, Honourable like Chairperson, uh, Honourable Members and esteemed guests for, for the opportunity to present. Um, so I represent the Agricultural Business Chamber, um, which is a, a business chamber of agribusinesses representing the value chain in agriculture. So there's not farmers per se, it's businesses that supply inputs uh, such as finance, fertilizers, etc. To, to the agricultural sector as well as um, those who also purchase the, the agricultural produce and, and process them into food products. So Chairperson, our, our um, interest in this matter or our interest in this board is broadly speaking because in many of these areas it is seen certainly as the areas for future growth in agriculture and where the future growth of the agricultural sector will come from, even though um, many of so many of these rights are not necessarily limited to agricultural land, it, it will nevertheless have an effect. At the same time also, I think it's well known that uh, we have this dual nature in agriculture where there's a commercial sector that's well resourced with secure property rights, where smallholders and the, the emerging sector does unfortunately struggle with being under-resourced and insecure property rights. So for, so for that investment to flow, certainly our, our inputs are made um, with the spirit that there must be secure property rights for all to, to defeat this dualism in agriculture, as well as also to ensure that investment can flow into these areas to develop agriculture. Uh, Chairperson, I should also just mention that we are also part of the business delegation at NETLAC and provided um, our inputs through the NETLAC process as well, some of which I, I will repeat here today and that we urge the committee to also please take into consideration. So, Chairperson, as far as the, the general inputs are concerned, um, it has been mentioned by a number of other speakers today that the scope of, of this uh, amendment bill is rather limited because it's related to the constitutional court ruling. And though we understand that perhaps a stopgap measure of, of this nature may be required simply given the timeframes that the constitutional court has imposed, but a separate process that looks at a more holistic review of, of the legislation, we believe is still merited and, and is still certainly required. Um, chief amongst these elements that, that should be reviewed, as has been touched on this morning by other speakers as well, is the concept of, of tribal land, which of course is a pre-constitutional concept. 
Now, we know indigenous customary property law is characterized by joint rules regulating access to land by various communi communities, but these laws do differ drastically between communities. And to lump it all under one simplistic heading of tribal land, I think, would not do justice to it and could actually lead, inadvertently lead to tenure insecurity for many of these communities. It's worth mentioning that it was a similar process that led to the Communal Land Rights Act being challenged in 2004 by a consortium of, of communities. Uh, Jefferson, and as we mentioned, it might be a separate process because there really is in-depth consultation that is required um, to reform communal land rights in South Africa. So it may not be suitable to do so in the context of this process. And we're also aware that a separate process for the communal land rights bill is underway with the department. However, in that light, we would advocate then or it would make sense to delete all provisions relating to so-called tribal land in, in this specific legislation and deal with that in dedicated separate legislation. So in other words, sections 3, 19 and 20, I think should be considered perhaps um, if they have not been used in the past, as is our understanding, they may be surplus and redundant and can be considered for deletion. Um, Chairperson, then in terms of the, um, the, the new process as well, I think other speakers have also mentioned today that the proposals in the amendment bill, whilst we certainly support it and whilst it is um, good for the, for the purposes of ensuring gender equality, once again, perhaps it fails to take customary uh, law practices or customary law land ownership concepts fully into consideration, simply because all of these various tenure rights that are eligible to be upgraded can only be upgraded in terms of this bill to common law ownership, which again places the, the emphasis on individual ownership. So where an individual prefers such ownership, we don't see anything wrong with that approach. However, where it clashes with the current practice custom, I think it, it will certainly face a legitimacy crisis. And, and for that reason, I mean, we would also support the calls made earlier this morning to look at reforming um, or reforming the bill to ensure that secure forms of communal and, and customary tenure is developed and, and that those rights can also be upgraded um, in that regard. I think the Ruby case also showed, and it was a good example, or showed where there might be a mismatch in terms of that certain forms of um, indigenous customary law recognizes various layers of rights where, where various individuals within the same household would have legitimate rights and interest in the same property. By only permitting co conversion to common law ownership, what could inadvertently be, be excluding um, some of and extinguishing some of those legitimate rights because essentially only one person can can be the owner, although co-ownership is possible or ownership through a legal entity such as a trust or communal property association is also possible. But once again, they have governance structures that are prescribed by legislation, which will not necessarily um, be in line with the existing practice of the existing custom. So for that reason, we certainly advocate the development of uh, legally secure forms of customary uh, law ownership. And then, then turning just to some of the specific provisions in the Act, I think we would also just like to bring under the committee's attention um, and caution awarding too much discretion to the minister in making a determination when land rights are disputed. And in this regard, I believe we had good debates at the NETLAC process and some good recommendations were made and in fact agreed upon by all four constituencies that could certainly strengthen the bill. For example, the provisions that obligate the minister to give effect to um, an application where it's not disputed, 
but also refer to mediation where there is a dispute. I think these are very positive steps that which would also just urge the committee to take into consideration. Where even despite mediation, there's still a dispute and dispute cannot be resolved. The onus falls back on the minister to make a ruling on whether or not the objection is valid or, or whether or not the, the original applica the application is valid or not. So this will per implication affect um, someone's rights, whether it's the, the objector or the applicant's rights, and could extinguish some of these, these interests where that's the case. So this will be administrative action, I think, with, within the context of, of the, the PAJA Act. So in that regard, we would also just encourage um, the committee to look at putting very specific criteria in place that would guide the minister when exercising this discretion and guide them. So in other words, to guide as a guideline for the minister based on which um, she can make this, this determination. And I believe it's, it's rather important as well, because during the, again, the, there are a lot of parallels between the challenges brought to the Communal Land Rights Act in 2004, where again, um, the minister's wide discretion was, was challenged to some extent. So we were just advised to prevent the same challenges and legal arguments from cropping up once again to provide very clear guidelines for the minister in exercising this discretion. Jefferson, then just finally, uh, one or two points on specific provisions. I think it was mentioned again this morning that um, a notice in the Government Gazette may be insufficient simply because not everyone has access to the Government Gazette on a regular basis. So the proposal we would make in this regard, and which was again agreed at, at NETLAC, um, would be to place an obligation on the applicant that when an application is lodged, they must inform the department of, of anyone they may be aware of who might have a right to interest in the property. And to put it simply, um, an applicant would generally know who has resided in that property um, with his family members or, or anyone else in the course of the last 20 years. And that would allow the department to notify those affected parties individually. So this would be not in the places, but probably in addition to some sort of formal notice in the Gazette. And then, of course, the considerations um, of publishing it in various languages and local newspapers can supplement that as well. Chairperson, uh, then I think finally also just the Section 14A does make reference to, um, to an application being referred to court, but the word court is not defined in the Act. So we would propose that perhaps the word court could, should be defined to read the Land Claims Court. When this Act was, of course, promulgated, the Land Claims Court didn't exist yet. But it does seem that it would be the, the appro most appropriate court to look at this. Um, we're also aware of, of certain um, moves underway to develop a, a, land, a more comprehensive land court through a land court bill. However, if and when such a process does take place, of course, this act can just again be amended to, to replace a land claims court with a land court. That would be the proposals. And then finally, Chairperson, I think there were a number of um, good recommendations that were made at NETLAC and agreed that upon by all four constituencies, which is quite rare, I believe, at NETLAC. And this relates to the application of Section 2, um, again, the mediation by the minister, as well as a designation and, this, and providing specific powers for um, the person who is designated to conduct the land rights inquiry. So I think they, those are perhaps slight omissions in, in the current amendment bill that it doesn't outline exactly what the rights and powers and obligations are. So these amendments or proposed amendments are contained in the NETLAC report, which we would just encourage the, the committee also to, to have a look at. Um, Chairperson, I think that summarizes our input. Um, we did also submit written, written input with detail, but just thank you again to the chair and the committee for the opportunity. Dr. 
Boshoff, you are most welcome. Uh, thank you for your submission as representing the Agricultural Business Chamber. Honorable members, we will move on um, to the submission of uh, Free Market Foundation, which will be done by Ubao Davi. Ubao Davi, please take over. Chairman, I'm just waiting for them to put me on screen. You are audible and you are visible. We can see you. Okay. Thank you, Chairman, for the opportunity to uh, to address the, the committee here. Um, clause one of the amendment bill purports to change the automatic conversion land tenure rights listed in Schedule 1 into ownership. Uh, to an application, change it to an application for conversion into ownership. Now, in so doing it, vests the minister with a discretion to either approve or reject such an application. Um, various other clauses make reference to conversions that occurred after 27 April 1994. Now, the the problem we have with this uh, legislation or proposed legislation is my that... My apologies, Dr. Davi, my apologies. Can you please request them to pull uh, the device you are using uh, backwards? Because we can only see your uh, nose and eyes. At this. Yeah, that's uh, much better. We can see your whole face now. Okay. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, the problem we have is that all conver conversions happened when the ultra legislation was adopted. In other words, the people living in the properties that were um, avail available for conversion, they became the owners. And the problem with that is they were never told. And since 1991, <clears throat> many people who must have been living in those properties at that time um, are owners of the property and not knowing it. The question arises now, those people who are still living in those houses that became their property and are unaware of it, are they going to lose their rights? Or can some change be made to the amendments to the legislation to make sure that they don't lose their rights? If the amendment bill sees itself as applying only to any new properties that might, from the day of its enactment, qualify under ULTRA. But it is applied retrospectively, if it is applied retrospectively, a great injustice would come about. 
as it would amount to the unilateral expropriation without compensation of millions of private residences. That's a serious problem that we have, Chairman, with the legislation as it stands now. If you go back in history, the 1991 Land Tenure Rights Act, the ULTRA, was apparently intended to try and reverse some of the harm done by the 1913 Land Act. The legislation that in one fell swoop took the property rights from black South Africans, the tragic and senseless act that Sol Pleitchi described in his book, Native Life in South Africa. Now we have in the ULTRA Act, an attempt in one fell swoop to convert ownership of an estimated 5 million properties across the length and breadth of South Africa that qualified under the Act, making the legal and legitimate occupants the owners of those properties. And as I said previously, the problem, no one told the new owners that they were the legal owners of their homes. They were not told in 1991, and most of them still don't know. The Free Market Foundation set up a project called the Kayalam Project. The purpose was to partner with municipalities, not only to tell people that they own the properties, but to raise funds and to have title deeds registered over those properties. Now, we started with 84 title deeds presented in 2013. In the pilot municipality, when we started the process, there are just over 3,000 owners that have been assisted to obtain, obtain title deeds. The cost, we managed to do at a very low cost of 2,500 Rand per property. And the cost to date is 7.4 million Rand. And the value to those owners at a, a modest rate of valuation is 480 million uh, Rand, where the people in that area became wealthier by that amount of property. The countrywide total of properties that we've managed to give titles to is 10,000. The total cost there is 25 million that we raised from generous donors to make that possible. And the value countrywide of the properties transferred at a, a, a low valuation is 1.6 billion rand. Now the costs of course play a huge role in these properties. Uh, if you look at 5 million properties to transfer them, it's 12.5 billion, and the value to the new owners would be 800 billion. This is a very important um, matter that we're discussing here. It is the low-income people, and there's a lot being said about gender. And if you look at the people, the recipients, of the Kailam uh, distribution of title deeds, there are many, many, I'd say it's equal numbers of women and men. So, they, but we can't guarantee 
that there is, in all cases, uh, gender equity. Now, what we believe that government should be finding ways and means to reduce the costs and get title deeds into the owners, to the owners of those properties. There are, as the estimate is, and we, we can't be sure, there are no figures to go by, but five million. If every single transfer is to be approved by the minister, it will take a long time. And will the, the, the cost, uh, it'll increase quite considerably, that there will be time delays. Uh, it will be very difficult for Kailam to do the work it's doing now. And we would ask that this be taken into consideration. Um, and whatever the minister can expect to do, can we suggest perhaps be done by the municipalities in the case where these properties are situated in municipalities? For accelerating the process, there's something called a triple D form that can be implemented. We have not managed to use it yet. It has to be initiated by municipalities. Uh, they, a, a specially appointed person at the municipality needs to complete the triple D form and it has to be signed off by a conveyancer. That triple D form can be taken to the deeds office and we've checked that with them. And the cost of registering that triple D form, which is, which becomes a, a title deed, is uh, 35 rand. So the, it can be done at a very low cost. But what's most important is that this legislation mustn't take the rights away from the people to whom we are now able to give titles. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Dr. Boshoff, for your, no, sorry, Dr. Yes, yeah, Dr. Davy, Davies. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, thank you. I'm uh, just uh, still stuck on the presentation that uh, Dr. Boshoff made, but let us welcome your presentation, uh, Dr. Davy from the Free Market Foundation, and your input will certainly be t taken into consideration. Uh, honorable members, let us uh, move on uh, to the submission by TLUSA, which will be made by Utatufanzeil. Utatufanzeil, please proceed. Yes, my Can we proceed to the next presenter, Chair? Because Mr. Van Zeil is not picking up his phone. I spoke to him this morning, but he's not picking up his phone. I'm not sure whether it's network or what. Okay. In the interim, uh, the people that uh, seemingly we are not be able to find, 
can we find some uh, replacements so that uh, we don't have a number of them showing up tomorrow and wanting to be slotted in? If we can uh, perhaps relieve some uh, of uh, the presentations that will be done tomorrow to actually come in on the gaps of Contralesa and perhaps of this one, TLUSA. But uh, I would urge on you to uh, continue to uh, calling Ubaufanzel uh, and see if they'll be able to be located. In the interim, honorable members, we will then move on to the submission by the Black People's National Crisis Committee, that being the BNCC, which will be done by uh, Mr. Kasibe, as well as uh, Patiwe. You may proceed. Yeah, th thank you. Thank you, Chairperson, and thanks to, um, uh, you know, committee members who are here. Uh, Chair, uh, with um, through your indulgence, Chair, I would like to ask if I could, uh, because this is how we've organized it, that uh, Mr. Patiwe will lead this uh, our submission, Chair, if if you if you would allow us to do so. So I will ask him, Chair, to to lead us, and then I will then come at the last, uh, you know, a few few minutes of his presentation, if that's okay with you, Chairperson. That's uh, uh, okay with us. Uh, please uh, proceed, Mr. Patio. Thank, um, thank you, thank you, thank you, Chair. Through you, um, on behalf of the Black People's National Crisis Committee would like to appreciate the invite to make our opinion to the committee. It is much appreciated. Chair, um, our input is that we are concerned about how the, the premise of the bill is seemingly incongruent with the realities of the African people on the ground. We argue that the Amendment Bill still centers a lot of its premises on the individual right to uh, property holding. And we think that this is a problematic um, understanding of uh, securing of land tenure. And I think we, we are of the view that as South Africa, we need to think of more creative ways in which we secure land tenure. Of course, we must understand as we must do is the amendment is a welcomed contribution in trying to make sure that women are not excluded um, in the allocation of property and how they secure their own tenure. But we feel that this bill does not do enough um, to properly um, secure this act. For example, Chair, um, most of the houses, the property that um, this bill uh, covers is property that has been um, handed over through some generations um, to the current holder um, or whoever is currently occupying the property. We know how the African um, understanding of property that is handed down over by their parents is not necessarily a property that gets handed over to one individual. Many people within the family have 
different rights to that property. And we think that um, as long as we are still within this individual understanding of titling, we are going to find a problem. And it is our view that um, the bill must uh, broaden its understanding um, of this issue. Our second point um, and concern about the bill is also we are very worried about the fact how the process was cut was quite hard. Um, it is a very important bill that affects a huge number of our people. Um, and of course, we understand um, the problems that COVID-19 um, have caused. But we would implore um, Parliament to write to the Constitutional Court and ask for an extension because we run the risk of having this process and then because there was no proper consultation done it can still be contested in courts and we'll have then again to come back to the same situation and having wasted state resources so we also implore um, the house to consider um, extending um, the time frame so that you can get more consultation uh, from people on the ground because it does really affect a lot of people. But those were the very, our basic um, inputs, Chair, um, on, on, on the bill. Um, I will succumb for now. Maybe Comrade Kasibe would have some few things to say to add. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sotulok. Uh, Thank you, uh, Comrade. I think you've, ca you've captured, I think, the, the, the essence of um, I think of our main submission, especially you know the the issue of um, extensive consultation, because you, you know it is correct, Chair, to really look at this, um, you know, um, you know, um, f from the point of view of the fact that um, uh, you know millions of South African people will be affected by you know when when this bill actually finally comes into fruition. And yet, uh, we, we haven't really seen that much, uh, you know, the same effort as, you know, we, we, we had seen with the, you know, the, the, the Section 25 uh, when consultations were done, you know, publicly. And there was a, you know, a national program that was uh, drafted by Parliament to make sure that, uh, you know, there were, there were community meetings and, uh, and, and, and other consultations that were done to ensure that people participated fully in, um, you know, a, a bill or rather a law that will affect their lives. And we, we feel that, Chair, uh, you know, reducing this just to a Zoom uh, presentation is not really, it really won't do justice, I think, to, um, you know, to, 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 you know, to the fact that we are trying to get it out there to make, to get you know, maximum feedback from, from society. And and uh, and we feel that uh, you know there are other creative ways in which I think uh, you know through through you chair and and the and the committee to say that uh, you, you know uh, for, for example now you know with Parliament you, you you have a hybrid system whereby other members of Parliament go to Parliament physically and others they join uh, through through Zoom so you know. Why is it difficult, for example, to convene those community meetings where you have, you know, 50 people at a time, others can go to a, they could be convened in a hall, you know, uh, following all the COVID-19 regulations or rules, uh, and then you can have those 
you can still have those uh, community meetings uh, in different communities and different provinces. And, and we believe that, Chair, this is uh, the only platform at the moment. For example, there are no provincial, you know, uh, what to call um, a public public discussions where people can have comments on this uh, on this on this bill and and it will when it comes to pass millions of, of south african you know people um you know people who actually had uh, homes will be affected and i think we feel that uh, it really does need uh, an extensive consultation uh you know to be undertaken the question of uh of of gender chair we we also of the view that uh, there's a lot that uh, you know the you know the bill itself relies heavily on or it uses the apartheid and um, and very much you know patriarchal lens uh, to uh, you know to recognize you know issues of uh, of ownership. So we see this chair in the in the in the Rahube versus Rahube case, and I'm sure that uh, members of the portfolio committee and other colleagues and comrades who are here are familiar with the case of the Rahube versus Rahube. And I think that um, and um, pa part, of, part of the bill, uh, it, it, you know, that there's a lot of that in recognizing male figures as people who are recognizable to be the, the sole owners of, uh, of certain households. For example, if there's a male and a female, the law will easily recognize a male as somebody who could be given the right to own, to own or right to ownership. But female... Um, you know, bodies are not given the same recognition. I think that uh, one of the previous speakers made this uh, submission to say that uh, issues of uh, gender equity, they really do need to be recognized, Chair, because we know under apartheid, apartheid, uh, you know, lands, uh, you know, recognize certain, yeah. certain bodies and certain genders yeah. you know, when it comes to issues of ownership. So, so we feel that uh, issues of gender equity does does need to be recognised that women must be given the same recognition as as males are given. I don't know if I'm still audible. Uh, I'm hearing voices in the background, so I'm I'm not quite sure uh, if my point is being uh, put across here. Um, uh, my beggar indulgence. Um, Honorable members and our guests, please switch off your uh, videos as well as mute your microphones and only allow the presenter to be the only person with the video on and the microphone on. We are picking up your conversations on the telephones and other sounds. Can we please uh, desist from doing that? Maukasibe, uh, please uh, proceed. Ngozi Sablom, Ngozi Hlalo, Sabulela, Ngozi Yam. Yeah, just, just uh, secondly, Chair, before I conclude, because I'm very much also mindful of the fact that my time is also running out. The second thing, Chair, that uh, we, we feel that, um, you know, does need to be, you know, paid attention to is the fact that um, you know the at the really at the heartbeat of the bill itself, uh, if one could go into the the microscopic um, you know level or rather the um, you know the underlying issue or the issue that underlies the this 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 bill, one would actually begin to um, to understand or to see 
something that is even much more nefarious, Chaperson, if I may be blunt, to say that, you know, to, to a large extent, the bill, you know, does, uh, you know, perpetuate the landlessness of the African people. We know that the, this land, Chaperson, uh, you know, uh, uh, was, was taken or stolen or taken through the barrel of a gun from the African people. And, um, and, 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 and the issue around the question of ownership chair uh, is an issue that, uh, you know, should, uh, to a large extent, Chaperson, you know, be, be secured for our people. Because this thing of, uh, you know, of, of, of perpetual, you know, landlessness of the African people. And we see cases, Chair, I'm sure that at some point, Chair, you will be presented with cases of people who are, you know, evicted by the landlords and... Uh, and and those landlords, uh, you, you know, Chairperson, evict them, um, you know, uh, against their will, and our people find themselves in a situation where, you know, they find pieces of land where they they occupy, and because of the fact that uh, the the relationship between the, you know, uh, the the one who rents and the one who receives the money gets broken down, you know, to a large extent, and people find themselves in this. In, in this state of landlessness, the very same state that I think the previous speaker made uh, allu- alluded to, uh, making reference to Sol Plaki's work. And I think that, Chairperson, at the heart of this, how do we really make, um, you know, African people, how, how do we stop the landlessness of the African people? So that African people, they actually have ownership of land and ownership of property, places that they can call home. So that we can actually bring to an end this this continuous landlessness of the African people, um, you know, um, you know, in the land of their forefathers and their forebears. And Chaperson, you know, just 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 one last point, Chaperson. The you know the the issue that um, um, you know um, you, you you find a situation where, as 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 Mr. Patua was saying that. Um, you know the, the the ownership that is centered on individuals. If you go for a, for example, Chaperson to uh, you know to the rural areas where, for example, the ownership of land is centered um, on individual chiefs and and tribal leaders, where, for example, we have families who you know who reside in this piece of land, um, you know um, you know uh, a land that is you know whose rights is basically centered you know around one person. The people who live in those in those areas, Chaperson, they don't actually have the final say on what happens uh, on the property that uh, you know that belongs to them. In fact, it does not belong to them because the rights, you know, um, or, or the, the 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 rights or that are the the officiation of the ownership of those pieces of land is centered on chiefs and tribal leaders. For example, if the community decides that they want to build a police station on somebody's property, that family, you know, um, who owns that piece of land does not have a right, does not have a final say. I think that we also need to to look into those instances, Chair, so that people have full ownership. They can actually have a say in what happens on their pieces of land or on their property. So I think, Chairperson, we really need to, to do that because we know how some of our tribal leaders and chiefs actually got to be given those pieces of land. It's all part and parcel of how, you know, apartheid, um, you know, administration would reward, 
those who actually collaborated with them and gave them pieces of land. And I think that it's high time to chair that uh, people are given, families are given full right to ownership of the land so that the, the ownership of the land does not reside with individuals. It resides with the families themselves. They can have a final say on what happens on their piece of land. I think that, Chairperson, um, I will end there, Chairperson, and, uh, and, and for me, uh, mine was just to support and also just to give, uh, you know, uh, oomph to what, uh, you know, uh, Comrade Lindo Kuhle, uh, you know, has already presented to you. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Mr. Patiwe, as well as Mr. Kasibe, for the submission you have made on the Black People's National Crisis Committee. I am certain that uh, the honorable members uh, will take into consideration your input. And uh, uh, we will now, honorable members, proceed to questions uh, for clarity on the presentations that have been made. I have made a request to the Secretariat for the two presentations uh, from Contra Lesa as well as TLUSA that we have not been able to uh, have tabled before the committee if we may be able to find uh, two replacements from tomorrow to come into this slot so that should we be able to locate them we can then place them in tomorrow's uh, uh, proceedings but let's now proceed with the questions for clarity honorable members will begin with honorable clapper Um, thanks, Chair. Chair, I don't have much questions except to ask Ndate Bosho. I really liked what he presented, but I just want clarity on one thing because I thought I was following him when he was saying the minister cannot be the determinant and also preside over a dispute. And then later on, he said there should be guidelines in that regard. Does Mr. Bosov uh, agree that uh, if there are guidelines, then that guide the minister over the dispute resolution, she can pre he or she can preside over the issue of the dispute? Because I, I was going to ask if it's not the minister, because they are participating also on Netflix, who could be who could be the person that can preside then over the dispute? And uh, my last question on that party way is that um, are you saying with the crisis that we have of culture, which we take that uh, this case of Rahube versus Rahube has been a watershed, especially on the vulnerable groups that is women. Do you want us to go back to issues of customary relations in terms of security of tenure as Africans? Thanks, Chair. Thank you, uh, Honorable Kape. And we have uh, Honorable uh, Kapa. 
Thank you, Honorable Marshal. Memasho. Honorable Stain. Chairperson, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you for the presenters, Chair. I have a few questions or one of for each of the, the presenters. The first one to Agbis. Um, if if they have any suggestions of the form of legal indigenous land ownership uh, that that would be workable in South Africa, maybe some of the um, other countries could have some kind of um, uh, ownership patterns that that we can look uh, into, or if you have something uh, like that, the Free Market Foundation. Um, I, I um, listened very carefully to to the beginning of of your presentation when you spoke about the implementation of the core judgment that would lead to expropriation of with, without compensation of a whole lot of people if it will be implemented uh, retrospectively. Um, uh, and I think that might be linked to the comment uh, that you made to say that many people were given title without them being um, aware of that. I would like to be interested to find out if you have any factual information, any data or research. It might be linked to your program of KLM where you found that people might have title already and they were not even aware of that. Uh, if we have some uh, can get that information, it would be very helpful. Uh, we have also asked uh, our officials to look at, you know, the impact. We have no idea how many people might be impacted when this uh, piece of legislation uh, gets implemented. And it wasn't us that, that decided. It was decided by the court case that it must be implemented uh, retrospectively. So if we can have, and I think it's quite important that we do get some information or data um, if if it exists. And then uh, thank you for, for the presenters uh, with uh, on the Black People's uh, National Crisis Committee. It was also our concern from the beginning that the time frame is short and the way that we will have um, community inputs uh, into this uh, piece of legislation. I, I I would like, um, I'm interested, and maybe it's also linked to what I asked uh, from, from Atlas. I'm not sure if you are proposing uh, private individual land ownership or title deed, or you have some kind of suggestion um, on, on how the implementation needs to happen so that people individually might, or then as a family, um, but um, have, have title deeds and, and the way it can it can work. Um, thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Matthias. Thank you so much, uh, Honourable Chair. Look, uh, uh, the presentation by the Black people. Uh, formation there, Mr. Patu. I think we welcome that presentation and and 
and agree with the spirit and the letter of your presentation. Uh, I don't have really questions except that to say that we welcome that and agree with the presentation. But I've got two concerns in, in relation to AgriSA presentation and the Free Market Foundation. In that, both organizations seem to be happy with the current regime of dual system of land tenure administration in the country. Where there is tenure system for black people in the in the former rural areas, in the former Bantu stands, as well as land uh, tenure system in the predominantly mainstream South Africa. They seem not to have any problem with that, except to find some piecemeal coexistence of the two systems. According to them, and this is the question I wanted to put to them, do they think that the ultra bill as presented before here, is it comprehensive enough to do away with the, the dual land administration system? And if, if no, what is it that uh, should happen? Because that is the, the ultimate objective, that we must do away with the dual system of land right tenure in this country. And they seem not to, they seem to be happy with the current system. What is their take about that? Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Tate Matias. And we have uh, Honorable uh, Chwete. Mamu Chwete. Honorable Matati. Thank you very much, Chair. I think I'm covered, sir. Thank you. You're covered. Eh? Uh, Honorable Briet. Uh, Thank you, Chairperson. I think Honorable Slabe covered me in terms of, I would also like to find out from Mr. Borsov um, when he says that the ministers should not should not have the final decision. And um, what is his proposal in that regard? I might have missed that. Um, I would just like to do that. And then, um, yes, I would rather keep my comments to myself regarding the last presenter. And here's what I feel was a skewed history lesson. But let's leave it at that. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Mepriet. Uh, Honorable Dabezi Tahkositabekur. Kosenkur. Honorable Mbabama. Thank you, Chair. Uh, just one question. Can the Free Market Foundation explain how it arrives at a conclusion that conversion into full title and redress where injustice has happened amounts to expropriation of private residents without compensation? We would like further uh, elaboration on the elect on the on the illegality of the process that they see. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Mbabama. Honorable Masipa. Chair, thanks very much. Um, 
my question uh, or comment is directed to Free Market Foundation. Um, I see that there is an objection for the minister to be involved with this process. And I note that the Free Market Foundation will propose that the municipalities be used and at a cost of for the triple D form at a cost of 35 rand. I think the question for me is that um, the Free Market Foundation, have you tested uh, this uh, 35 rand, you know, cost of transfer in terms of title deed registration uh, with your previous project of Kyalan uh, project? And uh, secondly, will I be right that you are objecting to the minister's involvement in this process entirely, or uh, is it just the objection on the use of the title deeds? I mean, the deeds office in terms of registration. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Masipa. Uh, Honorable Muntwedi, you had difficulties with the network earlier. Has he been able to join us? Is there any other honorable member that I've missed uh, who would like to uh, pose a question of clarity? Well, we will now proceed, uh, honorable uh, members to uh, the answers on uh, the questions that have been uh, put uh, to us. And uh, I will then uh, start with the submission from the Agricultural Business Chamber. Ntate Boshoff, you may proceed and answer the questions. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Um, I think perhaps first to respond to uh, Honorable Tlape and Honorable Brett's question about the discretion of the minister. So the, the only alternative would be to take a disputed case uh, to the land claims court, which, which we don't believe is a feasible option in, in every single in, uh, instance because it, it is expensive. Access to court is, is unfortunately um, very expensive and it is something that's out of reach for, for the majority of, of applicants. So what we then propose is that the, it, the correct institution to make that decision would be the minister. However, that the minister's guidance simply is guided uh, in terms of criteria to try to give effect to to the will of of the applicant or the objector, whichever the case may be. So, um, in other words, when the minister does make that decision, uh, it would be an, a decision of an administrative nature, which has to be um, rational and reasonable. And we do believe that to just guide the discretion of the minister, even though we do believe the minister is the right person to make that that call some criteria would, would certainly be useful. In other words, to look at any documentary evidence that there may be to obtain um, oral testimony from both the applicants and, and to give everyone the right to make representations to the, to the minister and put the obligation on the minister to take all representations into account in making the decision. So it's really just not necessarily about who makes the decision, but the manner in which the decision is made. Um, and we do believe that probably the most efficient and affordable way to um, to do this would be to follow this process of first mediation um, to try to prevent um, any party or, or from, from being dismayed. So in other words, to first try to reach agreement, failing which the minister should exercise the, the discretion based on criteria. And of course, then ultimately, if 
if either one of the parties, either the objector or the applicant, is unhappy with the minister's decision, they can, of course, um, although the cost may be probative, the option should still be there, which I believe it is in the bill, to take the minister's decision on, on judicial review to a court. So it's it's a phased process. I think that can involve multiple parties, but the right institution would probably be um, ultimately the minister. Um, chair, and then just to move on to the question, um, Honourable Stain and Honourable uh, Matiasse's question about um, specific, the, the dual nature of um, of agriculture. So I, I just want to put the members at ease. It, it simply, it is is definitely not the case that we are satisfied or, or that we that we like the dual nature of agriculture. Absolutely not. It, it's the opposite. It must actually be reconciled. Now there are multiple legal systems recognised under the under the South African Constitution. So we do have the common law um, forms of ownership, and and the Constitution also does give full recognition to customary law in South Africa's legal system. The challenge there is that both of those systems do not afford the same level of tenure security to, um, you know, to, uh, to a person residing under those systems. So ultimately, it should be up to the, the individual or the household or community concern themselves whether or not they um, want to, op whether or not they recognize or, or have uh, customary um, laws relating to, to land access or whether they would like to go the route of, of sort of the owner of common law ownership, whether it's ownership or a lease or whatever the case might be. So in other words, to give effect to 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 um, to the will of the parties parties um, that are specifically involved. Now, in terms of whether or not there's a sort of a, a solution or a format for indigenous customary law land ownership, um, unfortunately, there is no ready-made system. Um, that, that currently exists. I mean, as it currently is in land reform, it's typically either leasehold or some sort of institutionalized use rights, which is still, which doesn't still doesn't give full effect to to customary um, law land ownership. Essentially, I would argue that it probably has to be a separate process outside of the scope of this bill, as as of course it would fundamentally affect many many areas of the law. But our argument would be that it has to be a bottom up approach. In other words, that you have to. Um, follow the custom that exists, the custom that is practiced, and the custom that is recognized in a certain area, and then formalize that. And what I mean by formalize it is to give tenure security, one typically looks at various elements. In other words, is the right registered? Can you defend the right in court against any any person that infringes on your right? Um, is it transferable? What is the process to transfer it or inherit it? So on. So in other words, tenure security um, is... What we would propose, in other words, and also looking internationally, I know Rwanda is a good example. Of, uh, Ethiopia can also be looked at uh, where cust African customary law systems have been, rights have been recorded and, and are regarded as relatively safe and secure because there's clarity, legal certainty regarding a lot of these elements um, that, in other words, that the custom is reflected in the laws of the day. So it will be a difficult process. There's no ready-made system, but but we would say that probably that is how one would need to um, develop and formalize and ensure that the, the customary land ownership rights are in fact legally secure. Thank you, Chairperson. I hope that, that answers the questions. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Boshoff. Honorable uh, members, I will ask that uh, we uh, just pause for a second to enable the communications team to switch from uh, this session into the 
National Assembly plenaries, which will be uh, underway at two o'clock. So we will now be taken off on the live broadcast that uh, we have had on DSTV channel 408, and we thank uh, them for having been with us uh, for this morning's uh, session and including this afternoon. Thank you. Are we automatically going to Parliament? Honorable Kappa, we're going to proceed with our uh, session. If you may just switch off your video because they need to transfer to Parliament okay. now. But uh, we are continuing. Uh, I will uh, proceed with the rest of uh, the presentations as uh, they come in. I am Okay. We ask Nkulisi to switch off your video, please. Honorable members and all our guests, please switch off your videos and mute your mics to allow a proper shift to the parliamentary session. Thank you. Thank you, honorable uh, members, and uh, to our guests for your indulgence. We will proceed with the rest of uh, the day's program. We are uh, live on social media, uh, on Twitter and Facebook. So we shall uh, then uh, proceed and receive uh, the answers from the other two presentations, and we will now give an opportunity to Ntate Davi uh, from Free Market uh, Foundation.
Um, Chair, I was asked these questions um, where I said it was tantamount, it could be tantamount to expropriation without compensation if there's no provision made in the, the changes to the law that uh, made sure that in doing so, in making the, the changes, they did not take away the rights that came into operation for those people across the whole country in 1991 when the, the Clara Act was, was adopted. So the, and just to give you an, an example, uh, we had the great honor to present a title deed to a lady uh, who, and we went to her home to give her the title deed. She was 99 years old. And she had, with her husband, uh, bought a, a, or was given a plot of land that they built their own house. She brought up her children there and it took her to the age of 99 before she had a title deed. And she said to us, thank you, I will now sleep well at night. I think she was thinking about her children and her grandchildren and the home that they lived in for so long. So that, that is the, the concern that we have about the legislation. Does it take away the rights that were created in 1991 but were not officially recognized with the title deed. And that's the work we're doing now. Right now, at this stage, so many years later, we are working on seeing that people, we, with the municipalities, the municipalities are doing a great job, but it's a, it's a huge job to get done, to get title deeds to those people. Then the dual system, um, Rural and, and, and urban, uh, no, there are, we recognize those difficulties in the Free Market Foundation. And we did a lot of work on the whole process and, the, and had discussions with the National House of Traditional Leaders. Um, and the conclusions that we came to, the people came to at that time was the possibility of transferring the properties, the various properties, the whole property to the community so that the community became owner of the property and they then worked out how to go forward into securing the rights of the families to, the, to their part share of the communal property. Um, that's unfortunately the the Land Rights Act um, had some provisions in it that were not accepted. I went to court and that the, the Communal Land Rights Act was then set aside. But uh, we would still think that something like that needs to be done. And it's for the people to decide across the country. 
and they might not come to the same decisions about how they want their, their communal land dealt with. They, they'll, they'll come to different conclusions and then it doesn't affect people in other, other areas if they can do it themselves. Then uh, there was a question about conversion of property rights to full title. Well, that is exactly what what we are helping the municipalities to do is to convert those rights. The rights that many of those people, it is their property, but they don't have title deeds. Once they have title deeds, uh, you should see the smiles on their faces when they accept those title deeds at a presentation. Um, then there's no objection to the minister uh, uh, coming to a conclusion about a, a title for a property, but there are so many of them. As I said, we don't know exactly, but we believe there's something like five million. Now, the minister is going to be rather busy if uh, people are very active in, 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 in asking for the transfer of their properties into their into their names. We are hoping this year to do uh, at least a thousand properties a month. Now, if if those are pr properties that uh, fall under this legislation, then I don't know how the minister will handle it. If we're sending applications at a thousand a month to the minister, it's it's not practical. That's that's what I'm saying. And there'll be there'll be a delay, and people will suffer because they don't get their title deeds. I I, I do hope that uh, Parliament will work out uh, some different way of doing it, and make sure yes. As far as gender is concerned, it is it is a very important matter. But uh, if I can make a joke, Chair, ladies live longer than men. <laughs> and we have been giving lots of titles to ladies who haven't got their men anymore. No, thank you, Dr. Davi. Uh, from the Free Market Foundation. I can certainly attest to that women live longer than men. It has proven to be the case in my family. <laughs> uh, we'll uh, proceed, uh, honorable members, uh, to the last submission that was made by the Black People's National Crisis Committee, BNCC, Mr. Kasibe and Mr. Patiwe. Thank you, thank, thank you, Chair. Um, through you, Chair, we had mostly two questions from Honorable Shabe um, and Honorable Stay. Um, to answer the first question, which really um, is a question of whether we want to go back um, in this course, there's a term that says Ibuelambo. Um, Honorable Shabe 
our argument is not necessarily an argument for a Buelambo. But what we are arguing, however, is that there are basic principles in how the African reality is arranged. And any law that is incongruent with these principles is bound not to be effective. And also we are very cautious about the distortions that have been made by the white academy around what are customary laws to the point where most of the current customary laws we find ourselves with are really very colonial makings that have been created to administer the colonial project. But what are we saying, um, Honorable, is that the fact of the matter is in the African reality, property that is handed down through generation does not necessarily get handed down to individuals. And as long as we have a, a, a land tenure regime that puts emphasis on, on individual titling, we are going to have a problem. If we take, for example, the Rahube case, of course, the Constitutional Court does a, a correct thing to say, Mrs. Rahube did not have a chance to contest this decision in 1991. She has to be given the chance to contest it. Now, what is going to happen is that if you are still, if we are still locked within the individual titling, we end up putting two siblings to at a fight. Because we still have to go back and decide who actually gets the titling. Is it Mr. Rahube or Mrs. Rahube? What we are saying is that we need to have a land tenure system that is able to give security of tenure while at the same time does not alienate us from our lived realities because that kind of a law is bound to make infighting within our families. It is bound not to work because this is simply not how the African reality is. Um, so to and it's then related to, I think, Honorable Stein was asking is, what then is our proposals about, um, are we advocating for individual uh, property or dismantling of that? Our argument, Honorable Stein, is that we need to find a different method of, of giving security of tenure. Because what is at the core here is security of tenure. And the basic, basic misconception that has happened is that the only way to secure that is through individual titling. What we are saying as a BPNCC, we are appealing to Parliament to think deeper around these issues. We are not convinced by the argument that the only way to secure tenure is through individual titling. There are other methods in which we should be able to explore and we think we should explore. And also, we need to be able to do this in such a way that should I get some tenure rights from my parents' houses together with my other siblings, this must not then negatively affect me 
in trying to um, apply for an RTP house. But this is precisely how these things work, right? My right to my parents' family and my together with my siblings is not my own right alone. It is within our understandings as the African people, how we relate to that household. I have particularized their particular right. So it's not entirely my house. So therefore must not be um, barred from being able to then further on applying for an RDP as an individual uh, person now. So that was, that's, that's the answer to you, Chair. I hope that I've clarified um, the honorables. Uh, but I want to emphasize the point. We are not saying necessarily that but we are saying that there are certain principles from EMBO in which we can use in the current modern day of our times that do not necessarily alienate us from each other and from our species being, and that can be able to still be part of the modern day era. And we think that individual tackling to recognize security of tenure is not the solution to do this. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Bao May I just uh, add one thing, Chair? Yes, go ahead, Bao Kasibe. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Just briefly, Chair, I think um, there's also one correction that I think we need to make. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a member of, um, of the portfolio committee saying that uh, we're giving a skewed history here, Chair. When we made the the submission that uh, you know uh, generally you know land was taken from African people by force and through the barrel of a gun. This is not a skewed history chair. This is a historical fact. I don't know what history books or you know what kind of history that he that she understands. We are speaking here, chair, from a pa a place of pain, a pa a place of being dispossessed by those who came and usurped our land, chair, and through that uh, taking a uh, you know, um, away of our land, our people were left landlessness chair. And that state of landlessness chair, chair has become, you know, a, a, a perpetual, it has become more like in perpetuity. Even to this very day, chair, our people are landless. And huge uh, portions of land are still, you know, being occupied, you know, by white people in this country. This is not a, this is not a, a, a distortion of history. It's a historical fact and reality. She can go and check it. She can ask anybody. She can go and read read any textbook or re, uh, watch any history documentary. So, chair, should correct that, chair. That's what. That's all that I wanted to correct, chair. We must tell truth here as it is, chairperson. Thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, Kasibe. Kosomlo. Uh, wanting to interject uh, on the basis of you are addressing the chair and not the individual uh, committee members. As a committee, the honorable members pose questions on behalf of the committee. And you address uh, uh, the chair when you present and speak in order to avoid a dialogue and uh, to having a point of debate. So we, we welcome your input. And I think uh, many of us uh, look into history and rely on history for factual uh, basis. 
and uh, we would not want uh, South Africa's history to be distorted in our time, nor in the time of uh, the future generations to come. And uh, we would like uh, to uh, also call on South Africans to write history as we know it, not uh, have a history of the majority written by the minority which has been the case uh, in uh, uh, the past centuries that we have had. So uh, I welcome uh, your input and uh, your uh, presentations that uh, you have made. Honorable uh, members, that uh, brings us uh, to the end of the presentations of today. Having uh, run a, a really a swift and clear program, we have uh, gained some time on our side to allow for uh, two presentations to be added on the space of uh, the contralesa, which did not present but also in the space of TLUSA, which also did not present. We therefore are going to allow a room uh, to take in two other presentations that uh, we can be able to dispense of uh, today. I therefore, honorable members, with your indulgence, want to uh, invite uh, Ms. Constance Mohale from the Alliance for Rural Development. Ms. Mohale Dumela. Thank you, Mr. Chairperson Dumela Ligai. All right, so thank you for allowing me to make the presentation in front of the portfolio committee and for slotting me on the slot today. So without any waste of time, I'll just go directly to the submission. And, um, and uh, I put on my... My, my submission before the parliament. So the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform published the upgrading of land tenure amendment bill, B6 2020 for public comments. This bill is said to be tabled in parliament for it was tabled in the first quarter and it seeks to amend two provisions of the Master Act uh, of the, the Upgrading of Land Tenure Rights Act of 1991 by providing for a constitutionally permissible procedure for the determination of rights of ownership and occupational land to remedy the constitutional invalidity of the section. So the act in its current form excluded black communities as it was applicable to certain areas only and discriminated against women as it didn't recognize their hereditary rights in respect of conversion of the land tenure rights into ownership. So the, the, the primary act was not, um, was not including the former Bantu stand and the homeland. So this amendment will also be applicable to the entire republic 
as the previous act did not apply to independent states. So the aim of the bill, I will skip that because it is written all over and uh, we know, but the proposed amendment seeks to amend section one of the bill and um, section one of the primary bill seeks to amend section 2.1 of the act. So the amendment is a result of as a result of the Rahube versus Rahube and others, where the applicant successfully challenged the constitutionality of section 2.1 of the primary act, which was confirmed by the constitutional court. The applicant was evicted from her home by her brother, the first responded where she had lived since 1970s. So um, the grandmother was the owner of the property until she passed away in 1978. There is no documentary proof of her ownership, but as we know that um, customary inherited rights and um, marital, uh, the recognition of marriage act uh, confirms. So those unrecognized uh, institutional systems of traditional leaders, traditional laws and institutions uh, can confirm these hereditary rights. So the need, the deed of grant was issued in terms of Proclamation 293, promulgated in terms of the Native Administration Act, which only made provisions for men to be heads of the family. The upgrading of Land Tenure Rights Act automatically converted rights in property as deed of grants to ownership. This meant that only men could benefit from the upgrading of tenure rights to ownership. So section 2.1 was declared constitutionally invalid insofar as it automatically converted any deed of grant or any right of leasehold into holders of ownership, which was in violation of women's rights in terms of section 9.1 of the constitution. Section 9.1 prohibits unfair discrimination of any person and it states uh, that, I quote, any person who is the registered holder of a land tenure right according to the register of land rights in which that land tenure right was registered in terms of the provision of any law or could have been holder of that land tenure right could not as a result of laws or practices that are unfairly discriminated against such person may apply as prescribed for the conversion of such land tenure right into ownership. So the bill further states that on receipt of the application, the minister shall publish a notice of government gazette, which will inform family members, putative holders, and other interested parties of the application for conversion. This gives them an opportunity to object to the application. If an objection arises, the minister is obligated to institute an inquiry and decide on the matter relating to the conversion of land tenure rights. So section two of this bill, amending section four of the primary act, states that a person who is the holder of a land tenure right or could have been the holder, but for the laws or practices that are fairly discriminated against such person shall be granted all the powers as if they were the owner of the earth or the land in respect of which the land tenure is granted in a formalized township for which a township register has not yet been opened. So this, the primary act was talking of townships. It was not extended to the, the communal areas. So uh, the bill in sec section 14A into the act, which will appear after section 14, 
And this section will make a provision for any person aggrieved by the conversion of a land tenure right from 27 April 1994 to approach a quarter a court for an order that sets aside the offending land tenure right or for an order that is just and equitable. Section 14a, subsection 2, states that any of the following transfers of ownership or property from the above-mentioned date in which a land tenure right had been converted shall remain valid. Uh, property purchased by third parties in good faith property inherited by third party in good faith and the estate has been finalized and property that has been converted to ownership in favor of a woman in good faith in terms of the end and uh, uh, it, uh, further i want to further quote the rahube versus rahube and others which i would not go through because um i think everybody's familiar with it and but we must remember that this act came on the eve of the demise of apartheid regime, where government of the day sought to set out a policy tra of trajectory with a view to preempt land reform. So in 1991, parliament passed this tenure ultra. Its original terms were not of application to the, uh, the Transvaal, uh, the homelands, and it states, until 28 September 1998. So the date of pro promulgation of the Land Affairs General Amendment Act, which made its provision applicable in the whole country. So as the name of uh, the Upgrading Act suggests, its, its purpose was to provide for conversion into full ownership of the more tenuous land rights which has been granted during apartheid era. So, uh, the cross-cutting issues here is that this act is not meant for communal land or for groups. It is meant for individuals, and uh, and 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 it was it's confirmed by this portfolio committee that it is meant for for for, for individuals. So, the communal land tenure law that was up this this uh, the communal land tenure act was that was scrapped in two thousand and four was supposed to scrap. ULTRA and other related like the land, Labor Tenants Amendment Act. So I don't know why are we plastering and correcting the apartheid legislation that was not meant for us. It was not meant for us. Both ULTRA and LTAA and other uh, legislations lack an objective on process through which rights in land are recorded, disaggregated or reconfigured. This gap in the legislation makes both ALTRA and the and LTAA difficult to, to operationalize. This leads to the ARD to consider two concepts, which is adjudication and land rights inquiry, which are sometimes used interchangeably, but sometimes slightly differently. So if we want to make distinction between this, a land rights inquiry would denote a process which is simply geared for disaggregating, recording existing rights, and not changing them. While adjudicate, the adjudication is generally used to entail reconfiguration and rights where they are unclear or in dispute through some mediation and conflict resolution processes. So an adjudication process is more interventionist in character because it could result in comparable redress in the event of resultant deprivation. There is a strong merit in arguing that both these laws required adjudication. So the Alliance for Rural Democracy, who are we? We are 
an alliance, a voluntary coming together of civil society organizations and community groups to engage in policy formulation, policy implementation, processes aimed towards the realization of restorative land justice. And we believe that ALTRA is not restorative. The Alliance members believe that legislative framework regulating land governance in South Africa is so fragmented and that to this day, a number of laws enacted in democratic South Africa created a different set of rules for those who reside in rural areas to those who reside in urban areas and what is referred to as the otherness. So as rural people, we, we feel othered. So the othering of black people in rural areas. The membership of the Alliance is made up of organized community groups spread across all nine provinces in the country who are supported by technical resource organizations. So yes, we are supported by resource organizations like Land and Accountability Research Center, like the Legal Resource Center, but we have our voice. So what we say here is what our what we want to say is what the, our dream of the countryside should be. So the language used in this amendment bill, terminologies like tribes and section 19 and 20 is outdated and infuriating really. So if you saying you can upgrade to individual, it means traditional leaders who are going to be able to upgrade land tenure rights of communal land. And, uh, and that's my assumption, and I would want the committee to respond to that. Does that mean that a traditional leader as an individual can upgrade the land tenure rights using this bill of communal land? Because we know that we have no communal land tenure law in this country. So if, if we are correct, we want to remind this committee to stop the bad to stand mentality. I have personally been involved in related matters, in land related matters, ever since the inception of land reform work in South Africa. From 1993, the Land Tenure Conference in Blue Fountain to the development of white paper in land reform. I made my first submission in the third parliament on the slow pace of land reform in South Africa, which was chaired, and I also chaired the 2005 land summit in Nazareth and made many oral submissions on this committee, as well as other related laws in the country. And I am, I, I think I, I, I say that from experience that this government is stuck with the Bantu stand mentality, is stuck with the Black Administration Act, and it can take So given that experience, I share the view of many other rural comrades who are of the opinion that lawmaking processes and legislations in these countries have failed us. The land question is fundamental for many rural South Africans. And I want to echo the same views that was uh, done this early this morning, but uh, by our lack comrade that parliament need to consider going back to the constituency and uh, educating people about uh, or listening to people about what is the, the alternative dream of the countryside. So I will go now to the concerns and pro, uh, proposals. The alliance is premised on the belief that there is one South Africa and one democracy with principles and rules that apply to all South Africans equally, irrespective of where they reside. One thing that I like about ALTRA is that it is applicable to all South Africans 
irrespective of where they live or color or race or class. So Alliance members believe that central in a democracy is a right to land and the right to choose. This right is in democracy and lies at the core of the constitution. It is the belief of the alliance, therefore, that any law that establishes a separate governance structure anywhere in South Africa in ways that deviate from the fundamental right of community groups to choose their leaders is in conflict with the core tenant of democracy. However, we are concerned with the manner in which these hearings are convened and we sympathize with the era we are operating in the new normal but we support lax admission for parliament to go on site. So uh, we call for a radical transformation and a total overhauling of the apartheid legislation that advances the tentacles of the Bantu Authorities Act of 1951. These laws were not meant for us as black communities. So parliament should correct the injustices and throw ultra and all this black, even this Marie Marriages Act out of parliament. We don't want to see you debating this. We want you to also say, how are you going to adjudicate and do land rights inquiry, which are sometimes, uh, which is very necessary. How do you empower and strengthen rural governance? The national government has neglected governance of the rural areas and diverted it to political councillors who are popular elected representatives with no governance experience, with no support. And the diversion of social responsibilities to traditional leaders without proper checks and balances is also a concern to us. In absence of good land governance, the absence of good land uh, governance paralyzes every livelihood strategy in the area. Already we have case-to-case -case studies of during COVID-19, traditional leaders are making deals with the land that people are supposed to plow. It is aghast right now, people are supposed to plow, but they are being told that they cannot uh, use the land anymore and we want parliament to, to intervene. That is why we want you to go on site. The other concern about this bill is the bureaucratic red tapes. We need land now. The application to the minister, who is a, the rural people of South Africa, we know they are challenged in terms of their location, the, the infrastructure that is there in, in terms of technology, but the fact that this cumbersome bureaucratic application process to the minister, like current ones that cause delays in finalizing the land claims and finalizing the radical transformation of land reform. We know that the, 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 the communal land is, some of it is not surveyed and therefore it will be impossible for beneficiaries to apply or to, to convert their tenure rights. We appeal that the bill should also recognize customary institutions that can confirm a land right and not only individuals. Ownership versus access. This is the debate that we have internally as, uh, as the Alliance for Rural Democracy because South Africa has a dual system which, is, which recognizes two types of tenure, private and public. This is not adequate for rural South Africans who still share access to the commons. For example, the river streams that we use to for kettles to livestock to drink for our own rituals 
they are, those are the commons, the grazing land, the farming and the herb harvesting, and most importantly, the hunting rights. We need a communal tenure law that will recognize access rights for all these livelihood streams. We believe that the fragmented nature of, of, of governance in South Africa could inhibit the well-intended provisions of any bill. It is our belief and request that Parliament should make concerted effort to harmonize land governance. Uh, and, and it, it means it is meant to confuse this, I mean, this thing of delaying to come up with this law, it's intentional. It is meant to confuse, to delay, to send civil society from pillar to post and from one department to other, such as their energy and resources are spent running around with little success. We are of the view that this fragmentation is at the heart of the delays in the land redistribution and the restitution process and the slow turning of the wheel of restorative land justice. In conclusion, the Alliance believes that situations are unique and therefore we need appropriate and flexible legislation to address the scenarios. Uh, we are calling on Parliament to publish the socio-economic impact assessment as demanded by La Mosa. We also call on fair public participation process and request that Parliament must make resources available for public consultation and participation. Adequate resources are needed to educate ordinary people and to ensure enforcement of their rights uh, under any improved bill. Uh, I, I, I submit and I thank you for allowing me and listening to me. Thank you, uh, Mem Mokhale, uh, for your submission on the Alliance for Rural Democracies. We will move on, honorable uh, members, to the next presentation, which will be put uh, by Mr. Matthew Parks from COSATU. Ntate Parks, please proceed. And I'll request okay. uh, all of us to switch off our videos and mute our microphones. Okay. No, no, thanks very much, Comrade Chair. Um, good afternoon to members and comrades and friends. Um, thank you for giving space to COSATU. Congress of South African Trade Unions. Um, my name is Matthew Parks. So our submission chair is fairly straightforward. Um, we welcome the bill, we support it, and we urge Parliament to pass it as soon as it can. Um, chair, our support is based upon that we believe it's progressive, that it addresses a constitutional deficiency within the Founding Act, and of course, Comrade Chair, that uh, the Constitutional Court made a direction to Parliament and to government to amend it. So, Chair, we support this as we support any other bill which seeks to remove any unfair discriminatory um, legal provisions in law. And of course, Chair, we believe that this bill is progressive and that it supports and advances the rights of women. So, we're quite keen to see it being passed because we believe it's going to have a positive impact upon allowing women to upgrade land tenure rights to ownership and so forth. Um, Comrade Chair, <clears throat> just with regards to the processes, um, as COSATA, we had participated in engagements on this bill at NEDLAC with the department, with other social partners. Um, I think we appreciated that uh, under the time constraints, 
between the portfolio committee and NEDLAC, we managed to find space for NEDLAC engagements. So we were quite uh, appreciative of that. And I think it helped to assure us about our concerns and support for the bill. Chair, I think having said that, we are concerned as COSATU about a continuous tendency by many departments where they've been instructed by the Constitutional Court to amend legislation. They are given 24 months to do so through an amendment, and they often fail to meet these deadlines. And this has happened with this bill in particular, and they had to then ask for condemnation. So, Chair, we think 24 months is usually sufficient time. And uh, between the departments and parliament, we need to see a bit of urgency across the portfolio committees and departments to address such, such instances. Um, when we fail to amend legislation timelessly, it does have an impact upon workers, upon the poor and women who are unfortunately denied the rights that they had been entitled to. With regards to the specific provisions of this bill, and it's a very straightforward and short amendment bill, um, our support is basically based on the four provisions. Um, with regards to Clause 1, we support the provisions which we believe provide for the upgrading of land tenure rights to, to ownership. Um, we welcome Clause 2, which re removes discriminatory provisions under the Founding Act, um, which had prevented women from holding land tenure rights or upgrading such land tenure rights into ownership. Chair, we also welcomed as COSATU Clause 3, which propo the proposed section Clause 3, which seeks to recognize conversions that have already taken place in the past and which are favored women or those that are made in good faith. Um, I think lastly, Chair, as uh, my comrade Constance had said before, with regards to Clause 4, we think it's quite important that it specifically says it covers the entire jurisdiction of the Republic, because of course we do have many former homeland legislation, which at times have not been repealed, and uh, obviously has the effect of allowing homeland jurisdiction to remain in place in some areas, unfortunately. So, Chair, we think as COSATA, these are progressive provisions that are going to benefit millions of South Africans who um, have been denied the opportunity to upgrade the land tenure rights into ownership. Um, we believe it's going to benefit both urban and rural residents. Um, Chair, also, we, we are particularly pleased that we think it's going to benefit women. So, in conclusion, Comrade Chair, um, we support the bill. We believe it should be passed as soon as possible, and then the President must move with speed to assent to it. And, it must then be promulgated quickly. Um, Chair, we do think this is a useful wake-up call, however, and we shouldn't just wait for the Constitutional Court to alert us to deficiencies in law. But there was a commitment by the Fifth Parliament to review existing legislation, to identify any remaining leftovers from apartheid-era legislation, to remove those uh, aspects which are, un which are discriminatory or unconstitutional. We think this is still needs to be done. Um, we shouldn't be having to wait for the Constitutional Court to tell us to do so. Chair, also the last things we're a bit worried about is that um, does the department have the capacity to ensure the implementation of this law, of this bill? Um, we have many progressive laws which have been passed by Parliament, and then often we've seen the departments not moving with speed to promulgate them or to implement them. We've had a progressive amendment to the Extension of Security of Tenure Act a few years ago, which made progressive provisions with regards to, to various rights for workers, but have yet to see them be implemented in full by the department, or for government to make sure the public is aware of the law and the obligations and the rights. So, Chair, I think our point is this is, a, this is a progressive law, but we need to see government having a serious plan to make sure it's implemented, to make sure the public is aware of the new rights, in particular women, and they're then able to sec secure the ownership rights. Um, 
I think, Chair, lastly, we'd also want to urge the Portfolio Committee to equally hold the Department to, to account in this regard. Um, too often, departments make glossy speeches to Parliament and they fail to, to implement it, and the Portfolio Committees often are not aware of the, uh, the, the failure to implement, to implement it. Um, Chair, you might be aware of there was a progressive toll-free hotline established by the Department a few years ago for farm workers facing evictions. Yet time and again that hotline didn't work. It collapsed, it wasn't fixed, would go on for months at a time. So we think those are the kind of things we would need to see from, from Parliament to really hold the Department to account to make sure that workers, especially farm workers, residents of rural areas, especially women, really do enjoy their full rights and are able to exercise them and also are aware of them. But let me stop there, Comrade Chair. Um, that's our submission in a nutshell, straight into the point. We support the bill and we're, we're looking forward to it being passed and promulgated and implemented. Thank you, Comrade Chair. Thank you, uh, Dr. Matthew Parks for the presentation and uh, submission you've made on behalf of COSADU. Uh, we will now move to the submission by Lamusa from Hank Atenis. The Hank Atenis with us. Good day, Chair. Um, yeah, Lamosa is the Land Access Movement of South Africa, and I can see myself and I hope you hear me. Yes, we Good can. Good chair and honourable members. Yes, you are audible. You may proceed. Thank you. You catch me unawares. I've almost put myself on fire. Um, chair, um, Please unmute your microphone. Please unmute your microphone. Apologies. Lamosa is not a stranger to the court and is not a stranger to your committee. And uh, Lamosa has asked um, us to, pre uh, to present to you a technical, a technical um, explanation of the member, the community-based members of Lamosa who will present um, on the next occasion. And the written submission is before you, and we want to concentrate on the six, the uh, first two pages of the written submission, and we'll refer to it briefly. Chair, there are three clauses, three issues in this bill that, that um, requires La Mosa to oppose the whole of the amendment bill. The bill is ill-conceived and ignores reality. In that sense, we do agree with the submission by the Crisis Committee. First, of the bill. And this is in particularly, particularly important when we come to uh, Clause 4 and the amendment of Section 25, capital A. Section 25, capital A, extends the scope of this act of ULTRA 
to the whole of the Republic. Currently, the Bantustans are excluded from the operation of Section 20, which provides for the transfer of tribal land. That is an issue that must be dealt with in the communal tenure bill that the department promised to get to you in five months time next year. The minister originally said in February, it will be on your agenda this year. Now we hear that it's been moved five months hence. The department reported to you in June that the bill, the draft bill, communal land tenure bill is ready, but is currently being consulted on. We are now putting in stopgap le legislation on aspects that's completely unnecessary. I am holding up to you the current, um, the, the, the original 10 Bantustans. The bill applied to three of them since 1993. But in respect of the balance, in respect of the TBVC states, plus Gazankulu, plus KwaZulu, very important, plus Pondeble, the Act Ultra does not apply in respect of Section 20. Why for a period of five months or plus the time it will take to pass the CLTB, extend the operation of Section 20 to the six former Bantustan areas? The Constitutional Court judgments do not require it. Rahube does not require it. Senku judgment, Hector Senku judgment, does not require it. Hector Senku judgment only dealt with Section 3. Now, Section 19 and 20 is brought in. This is not motivated for in the memorandum. It was not motivated to you um, two months ago when the department was briefed, and it is completely unnecessary. In fact, this an abominable beast. We cannot proceed even with a discussion of this bill if this is not clarified. And therefore, Lamosa is saying this. The committee should right now state its intention, make it very clear that it will amend, it will take out of for the references to sections 19 and 20. It is not necessary and it will simply cause problems. It is not supported by the Senku judgment and in fact it goes directly against the grain of the Tongwane judgment and of the three judgments in the Constitutional Court relating to the Bakhatla Bakhafela. It also goes directly against the thrust of the report of the Commission of Inquiry into the doings of Chief Former Posi Nyalala Pilane and now Mr. Pilane. Because it plays into the hands of a process where dominion or domination of land 
becomes a form of imperium or imperial power. We do not need the references to 19 and 20. It was not required. It's been explained to you that this is a technical ball. It is simple. It is short. It is not so if the references to 19 and 20 stays in there. And it will be challenged by progressive organizations, by progressive community organizations, if it is passed in this manner. So why continue a discussion about 19 and 20 if the committee can now assure, before your hearings in a week's time, can assure the communities that our uh, uh, communal land is not going to be touched by sudden transfers introduced in the last year of this bill, of, of the ULTRA, that since 1991 has not delivered on the promises that it's made. Rather leave it out. Chair, now we will get to the reference to Clause 3. Purportedly, in following the Senku judgment. Let's briefly get back to the Senku judgment. And this morning, I to you that the Teba Trust, formerly Wenela, the native recruiting organization that organized migrant labor since 1906, I think they started, established by the Chamber of Mines, had a piece of land at Sterkstrom. And um, now the Senku judgment. And this land was granted to it supposedly by a chief in the 1940s. Uh, land became a PTO. PTO was granted. Permission to occupy. Permission to occupy is the main subject category of land tenure dealt with in Section 3 and in Schedule 2 of the Ultra. The bill number six attempts to make schedule three and and um, section two, uh, section three and schedule two applicable to the whole of the country. Make PTOs convertible into individual full private ownership. Where does it come from? A piece of uh, litigation by um, uh, Wenela, by the Tiba Trust, that wanted to have full ownership of their compound and their recruiting office at this, on this land, which the municipality said they rather want to use for the informal traders that are currently selling their wares on the pavement. The department didn't even participate in that, in that litigation. Like they came in right at the end with arguments about the delay in the poll proceedings and that there shouldn't be a Paja review or a declarator at such a late stage. So without investigating the consequences of the judgment, without putting that to the court, sorry, without putting the consequences of an invalidity, and in any event, there is no 18-month requirement here. 
why don't cannot we why can't we simply live with a read-in pronounced by the constitutional court and which we quote on page two of the submission until we have a communal land tenure bill and a communal land tenure act your advisors have not provided evidence or support or an argument on why this is necessary. Our concern is this. The moment that Section 3, which we've heard earlier today, has not really been applied in practice, except by TIBA and a few others, a few trading stores and others, why bring Section 3 and Schedule 2 to the fore at this stage? R188, the primary category of PTOs, permissions to occupy, in Schedule 3, is the, is the outcome, is the final product of, since 1936, betterment regulations and betterment proclamations that culled our cattle and that had our donkeys shot in the Bob area resulting in 544 betterment projects in South Africa, the homelands. And the result of that villagization was PTOs under R188 of 1969. Now you want to convert those into full individualized ownership, when in fact that together with unregistered, un, what is often called off-record customary law rights, you will make that the subject matter of Section 3 in the former, at least six former um, um, Bantustans. Is that a project that we're ready for? and is necessary. We believe no. And without the information and without uh, an, an, a, a scaling project, we cannot embark on unnecessary and problematic legislative exercise of this kind with regard to the category of Schedule 2 and Section 3. This brings us Honourable Chair and Honourable Members, this brings us to the one aspect that the Department and your committee has now decided must be rushed, namely addressing Section 2 and uh, Section 2 and Schedule 1. And this is where we are looking at in, in, in meticulous detail um, addressing inequality and addressing fair outcomes for women. It is very important. The Constitutional Court has said this must now be addressed as a matter of urgency. How is the process envisaged? It is converted, this is the process is changed from a so-called automatic conversion to an application process. In fact, we know that it was never an automatic process. 
it's always been a semi-automatic process because only in one deeds office in um, in um, a King Williamstown did they actually go around and endorse the old quatrains. Otherwise, it was simply on the first next transfer that the so-called automatic conversion kind of kicked in. And even so, it caused a range of problems and it didn't happen. In fact, we see that very few transactions actually happened in terms of the, um, the um, ultra. Lefty was used, the less formal township establishment act, the Black Communities Development Act, that old piece of legislation of 4 of 84, 4 of 1984 was used, and then the conversion of leasehold um, to, um, or the conversion to leasehold or ownership act of 1988 was also applied. And this we know from the detailed study that was done by the department in 2009. That's a study that it is, I think it comes out in 1,100 pages that gives you detailed reports about where, which piece of legislation was used to produce at the end of the day individual ownership or lease products. And, and this table, I think, appears on page 29, 23, Oh, sorry, on page 22 of the submission, of the Lamosa submission. Um, and Ultra, in fact, was used in, it looks like, about one-fifth of those cases. Otherwise, Act 4 was used, Lefty was used, and the conversion of certain rights to leasehold and ownership act of 1988 were used. Different in different provinces, different in different um, even in some towns. So we say that today in um, 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 certain, certain, certain cities even, in Lokwane, we see a range of pieces of legislation that established individual ownership and there are men sitting with title deeds when and um, uh, the women's rights were not, were not recognized. Can we conclude? Uh, fully. Uh, ultra will not resolve the Raube problem. And this is what the preliminary saya doesn't even begin to tell us. In fact, the preliminary saya say they've got no idea and it will take too much time to establish the scope of the social problem that we're trying to address. In these circumstances, we propose very specifically, section 19 and 20 must be scrapped. We need to properly understand the implications of section 3. Judge Nguenya said, take out the customary law aspect out of schedule 2. You can't take out schedule 2 if it's competing with um, uh, um, um, R188 PTOs. Maybe section 3 and schedule 2 should also wait. For the, um, 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 for the communal tenure poll. On, schedule, on um, Section 2 and Schedule 1, there are so many questions that we should really 
consider carefully that we do not pass legislation which is not technical, has huge impacts, and we cannot cost it today. Why pass legislation that requires, and in this case, it will not be one special master, it will be nine special masters to, to deal with the issue that um, we're trying to address. Thank you. Honorable Chair, have I lost you? Thank you. No, I am here. Uh, just uh, wanting to ensure that I'm audible and I'm visible. So I was switching that on. Honorable members, there's uh, the Lamosa submission by Hank Atenis. We seem to have also been uh, able to uh, locate uh, Mr. Fanzale, that uh, we had not had an opportunity of uh, getting him to present earlier. So uh, with your indulgence, I will uh, request uh, Dr. Fanzale to uh, make uh, his submission. Um, thank you, Chair, and my apology for not being available earlier. Um, actually, on the program, I was um, programmed to do it now, and that's I, I do have other meetings. My apology. I want to be quick. Um, we do have a social and economic problem in South Africa, and we have to address that. And now we experience a lot of inputs and approaches that try to address it. But the outcome at this stage, and let's be honest about that, is not necessarily for the benefit of the people of our country. We experience failure after failure after failure. There's only one way, and we can do what we want to, and we can sing songs, and we can dance, and we can break things down, but there's only one way we can actually address our unemployment and our poverty reality, and that is by means of economic growth. And that's the only way we can do it. And I want to share something on the screen now that you can realize. I hope you can see this. Is that do you see this? No, not yet. It's not, uh, not uploaded. Sure. Please upload to the OneDrive to share it. Um, I'm not sure. Okay, if it's not going to to actually, uh, if you don't see it, I can just talk about it. Okay, there are certain things that you have to do. Um, because if you don't do it right, there's a big problem that you will not get growth. You can do what you like to. There's certain conditions that you have to stick to. You have to increase productivity, and there should be a net application and improvement of production factors. And this is economic rules, and no one can change that around. But before you get to those two points, there's a lot of requirements that you need. And once again, this is what the the economy is decisive on this. It's not for me and you or nobody else to make this and we cannot change it around. So you have got the opportunity to do it right and you get the opportunity to get to, to growth. If you do it wrong, the economy will grow, throw you off. And that's the reality that we experience with a lot of um, reality now with the COVID-19 that people don't do business, so they go bankrupt. That requirement is something like people have to make profit. 
Why? Because I have to pay taxes so that government get money. There should be trust so that people want to invest. You need skilled workers. You need the highest level of technology that's available, and you should use it for the benefit of profit. Then private ownership. Why? Because that's the reason why people want to invest in a country. And that is one of the baselines of getting to um, economic growth. You need investment. If you don't get investment, people will not invest. So if you have this private ownership and you make, make it breaking down, eroded it by means of legislation that we want to take a portion of your land away because only, only because a person stay on that. And for an example, if someone stay in the Defense Force house for all his years and he go on retirement, he cannot take his house with him. So that's the principle that you cannot take away other person's private ownership. Then low tax rate, I can go on and on, low inflation rate, competition is very important, transparent fiscal and monetary policy, then a spirit of saving, a motivated workers, and then investment, investment, investment. That's so crucial. And then international credit worthiness, and then an infrastructure to actually build that out. And thanks, government now addresses that. And that's crucial for us to get to that. But you have to stick to all those things. It's not only that you can do one of them and think that you can get growth. So you have to do those things to get to growth. And my concern is that we do the wrong things, but we want another outcome. We have to make sure that every time when there's legislation on the table or there's any policy announcement, we have to go and test it again against these principles. And if we do not do that, we will not get growth, and then we will stick to poverty and unemployment. And see, that is my main input I want to add to my written um, submission that we already sent to you. This is crucial for us to make sure that we can get our country to growth, and therefore do not address any uh, approach that break down the principle of private ownership. Do not do anything that build, break down trust, because if we do that, we will not get growth and we will always stick to poverty and unemployment. And that's not the road to go. No one of us need that. We have to get more entrepreneurs that want to create opportunities for people. And therefore, we then cannot bring legislation to the table that brings some uncertainty to the table. Thank you, Chair. That's all I want to say today, added to what I have sent to you already. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Van Zyl, thank you for your submission uh, from TLUSA. Honorable members, there you have uh, all the submissions. I'll now invite you to pose questions of clarity on the presentations made. And I will request each presenter to be able to note the questions that are posed to them and then we'll allocate five minutes per presenter to be able to attend to the questions. We'll start with the Honorable Kape. Thanks, Chairperson. Uh, Let me welcome the Before last Before you proceed, Honorable Kape, can I ask all our guests to switch off uh, their videos and mute your microphones? Please switch off your videos and mute your microphones. Thank you. Proceed, uh, Honorable Klappe. Chair, I welcome the presentation by Ndate Fansail. 
the question, the question he's giving us that in everything that we do as government, private security trainers should coexist with even the individual security trainer that we purporting or we discussing today. And uh, I would uh, chair, allow myself to digest the submission made by Lamosa in this uh, regard. I've seen yet some time and try to digest this. My question is then to the Alliance presentation chair. In the view of the presenter, what would constitute good land governance? That's question number one. Question number two, and I'm taking this from Andrade Parks, who said, delay in processing legislation as this will disadvantage the people that we're trying to assist. If we have to go through or with a proposal from the Alliance presentation, what will be their proposal in place if we have to throw out ALTRA currently? What must happen in between? If we have to say this ALTRA has got tentacles of the apartheid regime, does not belong to us, it was never meant for us, what must happen? What will be their proposal if we have to scrap or throw out ALTRA? Looking at what Ndata Pats is saying, accelerate on this legislation, because delay will then be injustice to those that it seeks to assist. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Tapper. Uh, Honorable Tapper. Uh, thank you, Chair. Let me also welcome and thank the presentations. Let me start with this one of uh, Alliance for Rural Development. Uh, there's much mentioned there of a Bantu stand mentality. But in this case, I think she ascribes it to the government. I would like here to get assistance or clarity because I don't say there is no Bantu stand mentality, but now maybe it would assist this process if there's a clarity on traces, remnants, and tendencies of this Bantustan mentality, because I think they are mentioned maybe in good faith so that they can be done away with and facilitate or make this, this progress to be fast as possible. Uh, on uh, Lamosa, my concern there is that I'm not, and I want to understand whether they are. They, they behave, they, I mean, their argument is on the existence or non-existence of Pantostans. So I want to get some clarity there that whether their, 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 their presentation or their input is based on the existence of Pantostans as if they had to be there or they ought not to be there. I just want a clarity on that part. On the last one of Mr. Fansay, uh, now, here I would also like to get a clarity that does Mr. Fansale believe or urges that this 
growth is expected to continue without necessarily addressing these issues which are critical, which are regarded as land reform uh, issues, and which I think many people have a concern uh, about. Because his argument here, it doesn't seem to be taking that these issues have to be addressed. It seems all what about is just a growth, and then as if is that growth that will address these issues that are being discussed. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Tapa. Uh, Honorable Stein. Thank you, Chair Person, and, and thank you for all the presentations, Chair. Um, I think we really get some diverse uh, uh, views on this, and it, it shows us again how just how how um, difficult it is to to manage uh, the process of land ownership in South Africa. Um, you know, coming with with our historical facts that we have to deal with today, Chair. Jefferson, um, I would like to find out from uh, Lamosa um, whether, no, no, it's not Lamosa. Yes, it was Lamosa. Um, if they've been consulted on the CLARA, uh, the proposed CLARA bill, I think, you know, there was a lot of discussion specifically regarding why it extends into the rest of South Africa uh, under communal uh, land tenure when we are dealing with the pieces of legislation. It was one of the questions that we asked to the department when they came uh, with this amendment bill to us is how far are we on the CLARA legislation? It's been, I can't really remember even how many years since we haven't seen uh, a, a CLARA legislation. And if they have seen it, whether they think the CLARA uh, proposal will be will solve uh, the challenges that we are currently facing. Um, uh, so maybe it's a bit of a, a, a unfair question, but you know there was a lot of discussion from your presentation on on the communal land rights uh, legislation that needs to be done. Then um, uh, I tried to find in your submission the detailed study that you mentioned uh, about the department that they've done in 2009 on what what pieces of legislation was used up till this point for the upgrading of um, uh, title or upgrading of land for, for people living in, in, in communal areas or, or under uh, unsecured title. Whether you have that document or whether we can uh, access that document because that was also one of my questions so that we can see uh, how many people will be impacted if we have to uh, look at the implementation of the, the legislation as uh, asked by the Constitutional Court. Chairperson, uh, I think for now that is, that is um, all my questions, the others were covered. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Ms. Dane. Honorable Ndate Matiasa. Manibulele Nkosi Mandela. Let me welcome the presentation first from Memo Khali, the Alliance for Rural Democracy. The question I want to put to her is, 
whether she agrees with the notion that this proposed bill is the right direction towards ensuring land tenure rights for women who were previously marginalized and continue to be discriminated today. If no, what should be the alternative? Two, my question is uh, to Comrade Matthew Parks from COSATU. Is that, uh, is, is COSATU aware that uh, even to this very day, there are various types of land tenure in rural South Africa, in the former Bantustan? And these types of rural tenure are about 10. And they exist, they coexist side by side, all 10 of them. The trust form, the, the freehold, communal, tenancy, which is in the form of unsurveyed land, leasehold, ownership, and deeds of, of grant, trading permits, PTO. And if he's aware of all of these, has COSATU commissioned a comprehensive research to find that how can all of these be collapsed into one, one, one system of, of tenure rights? And if not, why? Secondly, does he agree that the bill in its current form is based on the doctrine of private ownership of land? and perpetuate uh, both feudal and, 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 and primitive capitalism into, 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 into the system? And if not, or if yes, what should be the alternative? Lastly, to Lamosa, to Mr. Hendrik and Benny, uh, in the form of conver uh, conversion that they propose, what is it that they propose on behalf of Lamosa? Do they propose a conversion into freehold or they, do they con propose conversion in leasehold? And how the dual system of what we have in rural South Africa and in urban South Africa, which is both South Africa and African and, 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 and European, what is it that they propose that should be a, a middle ground? system rather than to perpetuate the, the rural makeup of land tenure in the rural side. What is it that they propose? Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you, Honorable Ntate Matiase. And we have uh, the Honorable Priyad. Uh, she did indicate earlier that she was speaking on the women's debate in plenary in the National Assembly. Are you back with us, Honorable Priyat? Okay, uh, she's still uh, there. Let's move on, uh, Honorable Dabezita. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, my question uh, is directed to both Namusa uh, and uh, TLUSA. Uh, my question, Chairperson, is in their view, what do they think would have to be done in order to address the, the, the wrongs of the past where uh, a certain section of the community, more especially the Africans, did not have 
title holder on, 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 on properties. As the case has been the PTOs and the rest, uh, uh, did not secure uh, 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 property for, for them as a collateral to any uh, financial institution for them to to, de to develop that themselves. I wonder if my, 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 my question is, is clear on the, on the gentleman, the two gentlemen. Thank you. Kosenko, Yabulela, Dabizit. Can we have uh, the Honorable uh, Masati? Chairperson? Yes, please proceed. Honorable Matlati, you may proceed. Tatema Sipa, please uh, switch off and mute your microphone. Chairperson. Yes, please proceed. Uh, no, I'm covered, Chair. I'm, oh. I'm covered, Chair. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Honorable uh, Chwete. Mamu Chwete. Honorable Mbabama. Nkosi Chair and Dinami Buzo. Abulela Mamu Mbabama. Ntatema Sipa. Thanks, Chair. I think my question has been asked uh, the Lamusa uh, gentleman's presentation with regards to this uh, ultra bill. Um, I think the question really is, um, what do they really recommend uh, we do with regards to upgrading of the land tenure? Um, as uh, their presentation seems to object, you know, the whole bill. Um, I think if they can really guide us in terms of um, what they propose uh, needs to be done. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Masipa. Uh, has Honorable Muntwedi been able to join us? Ntate Muntwedi? Hello, Chair. Okay. Yes, Honorable Montuedi, you may proceed. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. I've got two questions for Mayor Constance Mohale for the Alliance for Rural Democracy. I, I, I picked up that she's opposed to applications being made to the minister. I would want to find out from her what is her take on the application process. Uh, has she brought anything forward on how should the applications be actually dealt with? And the other issue, Chair, is that she said uh, 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 they need a, a fair public participation. Ah, and I'll, 
Sorry, uh, Honorable Montuedi, we have some interferences. Uh, can I ask Honorable Members, Honorable Matati, please mute your microphone. And uh, all our guests that are with us, please mute your microphones. We are picking up disturbances. May I please request that we mute our microphones. Honorable Masati. Mayor Masati. Can we mute? Mute your microphone, thank you. You may proceed, Ntate Muntuedi. Thank you, Chair. She spoke of a fair public participation process. Uh, I just want to find out from her what would be a fair public participation process from her side so that uh, we're able to look into that as a committee. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Montuedi. Any other honorable member that I've uh, missed who would like to pose a question? If not, then honorable members, we will proceed uh, with uh, the uh, presenters and get uh, answers uh, to uh, the questions that have been posed. Let us uh, start uh, with uh, Memo Khale from the Alliance for Rural Democracy. You may proceed. Uh, Chair, Ms. Mohale has just been kicked out. She's trying to connect. Okay, we will conclude with her then. Let us uh, know when she's back online. Okay. Uh, let's proceed to Ntate Matthew Parks from Kosatu. Ntate Parks. Sure. No, no, thank you, Comrade Chair. Uh, thanks to honorable members for the questions. Um, I think I just had three questions, Comrade Chair. I think for honorable Tlape, um, the issue of the impact of delaying bills. Um, so, Lucas Kosato, we've often experienced this, not just in this department, but across many government departments. Um, on average, it takes easily five years for any legislation to move from the department <clears throat> through public consultation to both houses of parliament, to the president, to being promulgated into law, implemented, etc. And, you know, many of the, our laws are very progressive. They seek to empower people, overturn the legacies of apartheid, to transform society, especially vulnerable persons like women. But five years is a very long time, Comrade Chair. Um, at times, without cutting corners and circumventing the Constitution, we do need to move with far greater speed. So, for example, in this instance of the Ultra Bill, the Constitutional Court gave government and parliament two years to amend a very straightforward constitutional deficiency. We had to ask for condemnation, and this is not the first time. So, yes, we must do our work properly, we must consult properly, not do shortcuts, but we must not also delay and frustrate ordinarily disadvantaged people, especially women, especially in rural areas, who are seeking to enjoy these benefits. It's worse, Comrade Chair, that we are 26 years into democracy and we're still having to clean up some of these remnants of, of, of the apartheid era. So I think for us, Comrade Chair, and we're comfortable with the bill. We don't see any really fundamental reason to, to delay it. It should pass. We know even if we move with speed to pass it, it will probably only come into effect in the first half of 2021. So it's not going to happen tomorrow. But if you delay too long, you might add two or three more years. And we have to ask, what yes, is the I'm benefit here. of delay further? Um, I'm here. So, Comrade Chair, um, 
We do have Ntate Parks on the floor, Nemohale. We will come back to you. We have Ntate Matthew Parks on the floor from Kosatu. Please proceed, Ntate. Sure, no, thank you, Chair. Um, so for us, Chair, look, we will support passing it, it and we wouldn't doubt that there'll be other... I'm here, Chair. <laughs> chair, I'm here. Sorry, we have noted that you are back on, oh, and my we currently have on the floor Dade Parks from uh, Kosatu. Uh, uh, it's Mamuma, Mama, 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 Yes, uh, Memato, we are busy uh, with the responses from uh, the presenters. We will uh, proceed with Ntate Parks as he's on uh, the floor. Thank you. Proceed, Ntate Parks. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, so, look, Comrade Chair, we wouldn't doubt... We wouldn't doubt, Comrade Chair, that you would need to have further legislation down the road to further empower the bills, to enrich them, etc. We are aware that the Department has got several different legislation in the pipeline, and when they come, Parliament would cross that bridge and would pass them as well. Um, but we don't need to wait for the most perfect legislation because that would delay ordinary uh, residents who, who just seek to be empowered. Um, but I think also lastly on this point, Comrade Chair, to Honourable Klape, is that we're also under the jurisdiction of the Constitutional Court. They're not going to give us forever and ever to amend this thing. They've given a condemnation for a few months, so we do need to move. Um, Honourable Chair, <clears throat> to Honourable Matiase, questions. Um, yes, we are aware of the different types of, of rural tenure, of land tenure, sorry. Um, we do agree we need to have one single legal jurisdiction of, of land ownership. There is a need to significantly clean up our existing laws in that regard, especially to put, to empower um, rural residents, residents of townships, especially women and so forth. And again, Chair, we know that the department has got several bills in the pipeline, which I think would help to take us quite far in this regard. So we'd be quite keen for the department to fast track those bills so we can ensure the speedy passage, et cetera. Um, to the last question, Honorable Chair, from Honorable Matiase. The bill provides for private ownership. Yes, no, we're aware of that, Chair. We're aware that we live in a capitalist economy, um, and there are certain realities of that. So our vantage point, Comrade Chair, why we support the bill is that we believe it's going to advance workers' rights. Um, workers want to own land. They want to own their own land for their houses. They want to own, own land for agricultural purposes, even if it's a small agricultural purposes, or to set up SMMEs, um, especially the relatives in rural areas. And this is, we believe, is going to take us a step forward in that regard. It's about providing security of ownership and tenureship for, for workers and rural residents and for women. We believe it's going to help to empower them. Um, and I don't think we must undermine the need to provide security for, for workers, for rural residents, etc. So, and township residents. So we believe this is a step in, in the right direction, Comrade Chair. It's not the end of the road, but it's a step forward and hence our support for it, uh, Comrade Chair members. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Ntate uh, Matthew Parks from Kosatu for your responses. Honorable members, I've afforded you an opportunity to pose questions, and I've again asked of any member that I've missed out, and none is me. Uh, 
So please, yes, when I do acknowledge honorable members, please do take up the platform and ask your questions. Honorable Memato. Thank you, Chair. Sorry, because we do have um, a little bit of a, a problem with network, but nevertheless, my question was partly answered by Matthew's parts, but nevertheless, let me carry on so that I can be able to understand what I wanted to ask, to, to say to him, that uh, do, does Cosato think that the freehold title deeds will work, will, will work against government's objective on land reform? And what is the best method of ensuring that once that the title deed the, the title deeds have been allocated. They are not sold back to the previous landowners, which is what is happening. They sell the land today and tomorrow they come back and they, they take it again. And then the other, including the PTOs. Then the other question which I wanted to ask the chair is with regard to, uh, is, is going to La Musa. Uh, what does La Musa think? Will be the best. The, will be the impact of the restrictive uh, application of the the bill. Even that application can be made, lodged by a person not currently occupying the land. And how would you like to see upgrading of land tenure rights uh, rights unfold? Which I think other members have already asked that question, so that they can help us on what is it that we can do. I thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Memato. Dr. Matthew Parks, would you want to touch on the question uh, Honorable Memato has put? So you may conclude. Sure, no, no, thanks, Comrade Chair. Thanks, Honorable uh, Member, for the question. Um, I struggle a little bit with the connection issue, but Look, I think, Comrade Chair, just the Honourable Member's question, we would we would agree with that concern. Um, we do have a problem that we provide uh, land to to emerging farmers or for land distribution or land reform purposes or restitution, and often people simply because of, a, of poverty, of economic desperation, end up selling that land, whether back to former owners or to other persons. So it's a constant juggling challenge. Um, I think, Chair, one of the bills that we are supporting, we hope it will come soon to Parliament, which you think might be a step towards in the right direction to addressing this issue is the reg regulation of land holdings bill, which should provide for um, the limitations of how much agricultural land a certain farmer can own based upon the type of crop they're growing or the type of livestock or the particular part of the country where they are farming and it's the, the availability of land, et cetera, in that area. But I think to also to assist because in the future it will pre prevent um, foreign ownership of agricultural land, which is critical for land security and land reform purposes. But I think also, lastly, Chair, maybe which I hope would assist with honourable members' question, or which we think it would, is that when persons dispose of land going forward, it will revert to the state, especially for foreign-owned land. And if it doesn't go to the state, it must be sold to historically disadvantaged persons. So we think that will help to address the need to advance a land reform and institution um, redistribution objectives, because it is a, a huge difficulty, and it's a similar to RTP housing. The government pumps in billions of rands for RTP housing, only for those houses to be sold for a fraction of the value to persons who are not the ben intended beneficiaries of government's programs. So 
And I think, Chair, that's one of our issues why we are so frustrated by the, the slow pace with which government passes legislation and takes it to Parliament. That these bills sit for years in the department, they come to NEDLAC, they go back to the department for a few years before they're taken to Parliament. So before you know it, an entire administration of government has passed and the bill hasn't been passed into law. So I think that's why we are saying we really need to move fast with these progressive laws, Comrade Chair. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Matthew Parks from COSATU. We will uh, now uh, move on to uh, the Hank Attenis from Lamosa submission. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, the, the first question came from uh, Ms. Lapu on what constitutes a good tenure governance. And it is a crucial question, which she often, which she often, um, um, it is not just about the specific tenure right. Together with tenure comes recordal, durable recordal systems that can last for generations, and furthermore, the institutions that go with them. So it is, and this is so interesting about Ultra. Ultra in 1991 was supposed to sit next to a rural development board of the old NAT government in terms of which ULTRA would deal with titles um, and the Rural Development Bill would deal with recordal and with institutional arrangements. That is absent here. And remember this, comrades, is that Clara was going to repeal Section 20. Now, we don't have a Clara. We're only getting a, C, a communal land tenure bill next year that will take two years to process. So there is no arrangement that goes with the necessary arrangement. The institutional component of tenure is absent from this bill, from, the, from ULTRA. And applying ULTRA without an institutional arrangement that goes with it, including recordal, and remember, your previous parliament's electronic deeds registry system and process is not even on the um, parliamentary program for this year. So we're sitting without an institutional arrangement here. Um, Mr. Kappa uh, asked about the existence of Bantustans. No, of course, Bantustans don't exist. But this is the case. Ultra applied to white South Africa because only the tricameral parliament could only make laws about white South Africa by agreement with three Bantustans, by agreement with two, three Bantustans, Kangwane, Laboa and Kwakwa, Ultra became applicable to them. In 1988, most of Ultra was made applicable to the rest of the South Africa, but for Section 3, Section 19 and Section 20 which was going to be repealed by Clara. We didn't get a Clara. Why do we now apply 3, 19 and 20 if we don't have a communal land tenure poll yet? It does not make sense because you actually chop off the other elements of tenure security that are so crucial. And which should have, which must still come through the communal land tenure bill. Um, about the middle ground between freehold, leasehold, 
and customary and customary range of tenure formats. There should not be a hierarchy. The it is not as if the person who has ownership can kick off and evict the person with another right. So we've made small inroads on the hierarchy with ESTA and maybe even in, uh, in, 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 in statute law under the, um, the, 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 the uh, Sectional Titles Act, for example, which provides for another form, an interesting form of some shared and some individual rights. Similar arrangements in practice, in social uh, reality, happens under customary law. So we have a dilemma, we have a crisis of titling and registration because there are two million houses were built since 1994 in terms of RDP houses and, um, and, 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 and uh, breaking new ground houses, BNG houses. Only half of them are titled. The other half are not. And those titled are falling in arrears because we actually have an informal other arrangements exactly because individual titling doesn't work. Now you're asking, how does one address it? Clara had one interesting provision. It said that all parcels of land that are recorded must have at least one woman's ID number next to it. Interesting. So two people register a husband and a wife or partners, two people register, and we begin to equate uh, a joint title or a form, of, a form of joint responsibility and joint rights. Mr. Sebekulu, you, um, of course, in South Africa, title, individual title, was acquired through war, through theft, and through squatting by white squatters, free burghers, that eventually got uh, quit rent and eventually got title. Now that is being denied, you know, we are not giving tenure security, recognition or recordal to people who are occupying land and who have occupied land for generations. The, um, the, um, uh, Ms. Stein, you asked about where is our table. Our table is on page 22, and it shows that for Ultra, and here we try to update the 2009 report, just to compare what legislation was used that at the end of the day produced titles, individual titles. We had 199, 313, 942, and 301 for the different main instruments. Ultra, Black Communities Development Act, Left Here, and the conversion of certain rights to leasehold act. So if you now try to address women's rights under ULTRA, at least it only addresses 199 proclamations since, since um, um, the previous um, study. And, you know, you're not addressing Black Communities Development Act. Now, the previous study in 2009 of the department, DLA, um, and it was done by Umslava, We've, we've included for your attention, the, it starts on page 36 and it follows with four pages of links to the various documents. There's the main report of 600 pages and then there are the various annexures. 
including the beautiful maps and the graphs and the figures of people affected or not affected with work that should still be done under ULTRA. Finally, one point. This amendment bill is a step backwards as far as clause 4 goes. It does not take us forward. It may be a step sideways in respect of section 2 and um, 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 schedule 1 for women, but they've got to go through an individualized application process. The size of the problem that we have here does not, it will, it is too clumsy and too expensive to do it in an individualized process. That is why we've got seven steps that we set out at the end of the submission of La Mosa's proposals that starts on page 29 and continues to page 30, which says, suspend further discussion on 19 and 20, because it should not even have been in this bowl. There's no need for it in the bowl. And secondly, have the workshop on the rest. Hank Ajenis, thank you, thank you. Uh, for your responses. Honorable members, uh, we will move to Ntate Fanzain uh, from TLUSA for any responses you may have. Oh, thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, from my side, um, this ball are going to be kicked along very much in the future because from our side, we come to the table of economic principles. Because we know that economic principles will be decisive at the end of the day. And that's the reason why we, way back in 2005, present, and I was with that delegation to the government, we present and proposal, how can they do the whole issue of land tenureship and everything regarding that and on an economic principle basis. But the government at that stage do not want to accept that. And at this stage, and you all know that, and I don't know when it was, but uh, way back, um, say three or four or five years, uh, I cannot remember, the Department of Land Affairs mentioned that almost more than 90% of the land, the way they transfer it, go out of production. South Africa is a very marginal country, and therefore we have to make sure that we produce food on the available agricultural land. We have almost 68% of our population is already urbanized, and we cannot remember that, and therefore we need successful commercial farmers and the question is not if it's a man a woman black or white that's not the issue the issue is is it successful and there's only one mechanism that can be decisive in this whole process and that is to make sure that it is um, economic driven the market principle will be decisive at the end of the day to produce food for those people that is urbanized and that is crucial and now during this COVID-19 period we ex experience the reality of not food on the table of people. And I think all of us can learn out of it that we have to make sure we produce food. So my request is that we have to stick to the right principles. And if we erode a farm, and every time when you get a new farm worker, he establish rights, and then the next one, the next one, at the end of the day, this farm will not be um, in a position of do have economy of scale, and he will go bankrupt. Because what the market principle will be decisive. So for us, it is very important that we have to realize, yes, people need houses to stay in, and that's the reason why we for 12 years now ask, why don't they give the title deeds for RDP houses? I understand now some of them do have, 
but why not for the rest? But agricultural land should be productive. They should produce food for our country, for all the people. And if you put a person in this small piece of agricultural land that is not sustainable, that is not economic driven, you put that people person in a in a poverty trap, and that's not fair to him and to the economy and to environment. So, Chair, from my side, we just say, when do you help people? And we have to make sure that we help people on a sustainable manner for the benefit of them and the environment. But put a person in a small piece of land that he cannot produce enough food for himself. We should rethink about that and do not make other land smaller and smaller and smaller because every time a person come and work for you, he establish rights. That's not the way it can be done. So we want to support private ownership. I think that's crucial for people want to invest. And when a person, you can support them to get private ownership. We have ownership. We don't have a problem with that. But to erode the present reality of economy of scale farms, that will be crucial for us for food security in the, in the future. And that is something that we have to reconsider. So, yes, let's do the right thing on the right manner and do not uh, perhaps the right thing on the wrong manner. And the outcome will not be positive for our country. We have to create circumstances where we address poverty and unemployment. The only way is economic growth. Let's stick to that. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Ntatefanzeel. Uh, uh, from TLUSA. Let us uh, invite uh, Memo Khale from the Alliance for Rural Democracy. Memo Khale. Chair, Ms. Um, Mohale is also experiencing connection problems and she has requested to send responses by email. Perfect. Uh, now then, uh, thank you, honorable members, for your questions and uh, your uh, submissions. Uh, I would also want to take this opportunity to thank all our presenters that uh, have been able to be with us today on uh, our first day on public uh, hearings. We are um, proceeding uh, tomorrow with uh, the second day of public hearings, which uh, we uh, will be having a number of uh, presentations from uh, different uh, entities. Uh, if I may take you, we will be starting at nine o'clock sharp tomorrow with uh, uh, submissions, uh, the one of uh, Dr. Matthew Parks uh, from COSATU we've dispensed of today, so it won't be uh, on for tomorrow. We will then be having a, a submission from uh, RUDNET and another uh, submission by environmentalists and the submission from uh, the Alliance for Rural Development, uh, which has been dispensed with by Memo Khale today, uh, falls out. So we may then bring in the likes uh, of uh, Contralesa tomorrow to fill in that slot. 
we will uh, have uh, a press submission from uh, Lenness, uh, which will be uh, put by Dr. Kingwell. A submission uh, from uh, Hank Attenis uh, on behalf of Lamosa has been dispensed with today. We will then uh, have a submission uh, by Surplus People's Project and a submission by the Lawyers for Human Rights. In the afternoon uh, session, we will uh, proceed to the submission by the Housing Assembly. Also, a submission from uh, the Indigenous First National Advocacy South Africa. Then uh, we'll have a submission from Singabalapa Housing Movements. And uh, last but not least, a submission uh, by Chisimani Center for Activist Education. And that would conclude our proceedings of day two. Honorable members, I have brought to your attention that beyond this two-day program, we have received another 481 submissions, which we have therefore uh, made an application for the uh, extension for two and a half days on the week ending on the 28th of August. It is with the House Chair, and I believe uh, uh, it will uh, be granted uh, permission to proceed if there are no other matters clashing uh, in the National Assembly. We would like to uh, thank you all uh, for your participation today as we continue uh, trying to find solutions to ensuring that uh, the marginalized women uh, of uh, our beloved country can become real owners of uh, land tenure rights. And uh, we can assure you that as a committee, we're taking the Constitutional Court judgment uh, very seriously and are looking to move with speed into ensuring that uh, this process is dealt with and uh, we therefore are able to pass it into law. We thank everyone uh, for the session and this public hearings of day one stand adjourned. Honorable members, we will meet tomorrow again at uh, nine o'clock and I wish you the best of uh, the afternoon and a fabulous evening. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. That's it, Kappa.
Masipa, 